Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. excited to be in church today. Let's celebrate our chance to be here and worship together. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you for your prayers. That means a lot to us as a family. We're looking forward to just this time to, uh, to like Josh said, uh, to rest and rejuvenate and, and catch a vision for uh, not just the church, but for my own faith. Um, there's just kind of this interesting dynamic when you get into ministry where your faith and your journey with God is all mixed up in uh, your journey with the church. And so it's actually just a healthy time to go like, oh yeah, I, I gotta remember why I love Jesus. You know, just like, like for me, for our family to do that. And so thankful for that. And, uh, and look at you guys. You guys are all here. W- well done. You showed up to church today. Like, I don't know if you guys knew this. July is when you skip church in Alaska, but you guys didn't get the memo, I guess. I don't know. We got a full house. But uh, who's been fishing? Anybody been fishing? in the room? All right, I got some fishermen. Who's been catching, though? Who's been, uh, that's different. It's different to catch. Uh, man, we, we just went down to the Kasilov River. We were doing some dip netting, uh, which is uh, in Alaska. It's called combat fishing. Have you heard this term? Uh, if you're with us online, you've never maybe been to Alaska. You've maybe never heard of combat fi- Combat fishing is when you are shoulder to shoulder, like, like within three feet of another fisherman fishing after the same fish. And somehow, everybody catches fish. It's great. Uh, there's this interesting dynamic that I noticed uh, this year, and um, it, it's, it's, it's the uh, people get in a spot, and they, they kind of like, they, they get in this location with, with, with their net, and it's like they own that little zone, right, right? And so there's this thing that happens where the whole beach is just covered with people, and then you, you show up with your net, and you're just like, anybody going to let me in? Like anybody, you know? And, and like the dynamic, it's, it's really interesting. You kind of try to catch people's eye. You try to, you know, give them a look like, hey, can I, can I, can I get in this spot? And most of the time, they just stand there and they just give you the stink eye, right? They're like, no, this, I've staked claim to this three feet. And I, have, I have rights to this location. And then once in a while, you'll find like a decent human being who will kind of give you the look. And they'll go like this and they'll shimmy, right? They'll give you like the, 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 the shimmy. I'm going to acknowledge you as a human being, so I'm going to shimmy over and, and make a little room for you. Or if that person doesn't show up, you just muscle your way in because you're like, this is my beach too, y'all. Like, this is my beach. I can own this beach as much as you can own this beach. And so it's, inter- it's, like, a, it's like a fight between the rights, right? Like, I have rights to this place. You have rights to this place. And what I want to talk to you about today is there is a challenging similar situation between people fighting over their rights happening in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And so really it's a lot about that, that tension of like what you have a right to do. 
And, and it's interesting, we as Americans, we love our rights, don't we? Like, we are proud of our rights. We defend our rights. We exercise our rights. We fight for our rights. Somebody say it. To, that, to, there you go. I, every service. Everybody goes there. We fight for our rights. We do. We fight for having these freedoms, right? We just sang about freedom. And, and really, we love our rights. But what's never talked about in our society is restricting our rights. Is there ever a time that you would restrict your rights? Is there ever a time that you would not exercise your rights? And what would possess anybody to do something like that? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 8. We're going to read verse 1 through 3 and then 9 through 13. Paul says this. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Don't elbow your neighbor. But whoever loves God is known by God. We'll skip ahead to verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So interesting text just about what does it mean to care for the people around you? What does it mean to exercise your rights in such a way that shows love for those around them? What you need to know, kind of context for this text, is that uh, meat in their society was actually associated with pagan religions. And so what they would do is they would come together, they'd slaughter an animal, and then they'd kind of have a barbecue and offer it up to these idols and these pagan gods. And so this, this whole thing, it's not about meat versus like being a vegan, okay? It's not specifically about that. It's a specific context where meat represents something that leads people to idolatry. And so you've got these two camps in the church. You've got people that come from like a, like a, like a Christian background or a religious background, and you know, you know, they're, they're kind of they're kind of used to these religious behaviors. We see that in our church, right? Where people are used to certain types of behaviors and, and, and certain things are off limits and certain things are not. And then you've got people over here who are from like a non-Christian background who have certain types of behaviors and things that are off limits and certain things that are not. And then you bring those people together and you call it church. And, and what's going to happen is there's going to be a tension between what people think are their rights, right? Like I have a right to live this way. And then other people who are like, well, I think I have a right to live that way. And then we bring our backgrounds in. And our backgrounds cause us to be convicted of certain behaviors and not of other behaviors. And, and depending on where you've grown up and what your church background is, those behaviors are going to be different. For them specifically, it was about the food that you ate. It was about, is this like an unclean meat because it's been sacrificed to idols? Or for the other people, they're like, bro, it's just meat. Like, like, it's, you should eat the meat. I mean, if, if you shouldn't eat meat, then God shouldn't made it taste so good, right? Because, like, you're just supposed to eat the meat because the meat tastes good. So have a barbecue, eat the meat. doesn't matter if there's any sacrifice that's been made with that meat. And so, again, there's this tension that's going on around those two sides of the coin. And so the, the, we see this, again, like in the church today where there's people who feel like they need to avoid certain things. 
And there's other people who feel like they need to lean into certain things. You know, there's people from, maybe you're, you're new to Christianity, and you're trying to figure out, like, what behaviors and what uh, societal things should I participate in? And maybe you've pulled away from all of those things, and you've made some rules, right? You're like, I'm a, I only listen to Christian music, right? No rated R movies, unless it's the Passion of the Christ, then it's okay, right? Um, you know, you know you just, I only hang out with church people all the time. And, and for you, like, you're trying to disconnect maybe for, from, from some old behaviors and some old lifestyles. And so because of that, you're going, man, it's not okay for me to, to be around this group of people right now, or it's not okay for me to participate in these behaviors. And then over here, you've got the people who are like, all things come from God, and all things should be received with thankfulness, right? Like, just receive it all, it's all good, and do it all to the glory of God. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Kind of the big idea today is this, freedom must be balanced by love. Freedom must be balanced by love. It's interesting. The same is true with truth, right? Uh, We know that Jesus, he claimed proclaiming the truth in love. Jesus was both truthful and loving 100% of the time. I ran across this quote that I thought was good. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. So again, love is the thing that balances us out. Love is the thing that causes us to know exactly how to live this Christian life, which brings up an important question. What is Christian freedom? What actually is Christian freedom? What does it look like to live in freedom? Paul tells the church in Galatia, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is here to set the captives free. He releases people to freedom. And if you're not from a church background, you might have the opposite point of view. Like when you think of Christianity or you think of religion or you think of having faith in God, what you might think of is not freedom, is slavery. But that's not true, actually. The the truth is that when we live apart from Christ, what we live in is slavery. And some of you have gone down that road where you're like, oh yeah, Brian, I, I thought I was free, but I wasn't. I thought I was free because I lived according to all my own desires, and I learned that my desires led me to slavery. I was enslaved to my impulses, enslaved to my addictions, enslaved to my desires, but Jesus set me free. And some of you, that's that's your story. That's my story, because that's what Jesus wants to do. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't go back to slavery. He's saying, don't go back to the yoke of the burden of the old life. Lean into this new life that God has invited you into. He has set you free. You see, the tendency in Christianity is either to to, to be all about license or all about legalism. Either you become just this rule follower, which can, let's see who's honest in the room. Any rule followers in the room? Just you love rules, right? I mean, some of us, I love a good rule once in a while. Like, just tell me what's right, tell me what's wrong, right? Just give me me a, a box to play in, and then I'm great. But for some of you, when you remove the box or you remove the fence, you don't know what to do with yourself, Right? Like, just give me some rules. And some of you come to church because that's, that's why you're here. You're like, just tell me how to live, and I'll live. And then other people, they lean towards license, and they're like, there are no rules, right? Like, Jesus came, and he conquered sin and death and set me free from the rules. But here's the truth. There are rules, but the rules don't set you free. Jesus does. Does that make sense? Like, the rules lead us into holiness. They lead us to a life that looks like Christ, but the rules will never set you free because you will never fully follow the rules. 
None of us can ever live that perfect life. And so if that's you here today and you're like, just give me more rules and then I'm going to feel good if, as long as I can fix this issue in my life and start acting better over here. And maybe if I just cuss a little less and, you know, like drink a little less and go to church more, then I'll feel better. No, Jesus does that for you. Jesus is the freedom you've been looking for. It's the person of Christ that sets us free. So I think the tendency, though, is to fall on either side of that it's to lean into this, like, oh, there are no rules that I should live by. It doesn't even matter. I can, I can abuse the grace of God. Or I lean to the other side where I don't fully tap into the grace of Jesus because I just try to live by the book, right? Live, live according to these rules. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I don't know if you know this, but knowledge without love is the root of empty religion. Gaining knowledge. Now, is, is knowledge a bad thing? Of course not. I would encourage you, gain knowledge about God. Gain knowledge about yourself. Learn the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Take a theology class. Read a theology book. Knowledge is not the problem. Knowledge without love is the problem. And, and knowledge without love, what he says, puffs people up, right? It makes people arrogant. They think very highly of themselves because they don't know how to love other people. And so instead of learning to love, we gain more knowledge, and, and I just, I, I know in the room here, there has been that temptation somewhere in the room to gain more knowledge instead of to learn how to love. And, and that, this is what causes Christians just to launch like scripture grenades at hurting people and walk away, is they have knowledge without love. You know, like you've got that friend who's living a, a lifestyle that you don't agree with, and so you launch scripture grenades at them and you go, here's some knowledge, peace out. When you fix your life, we can hang out. I'll spend some time with you. This is knowledge without love. This is what causes us to live that. He says it puffs you up, but love builds up. So there are Christians who are puffed up, and then Christians who are built up. Which asks, it begs the question, which one are you? Are you a puffed up Christian or a built up Christian? Because knowledge without love will always puff us up. So then Paul gets into this whole weaker Christian, stronger Christian thing. And it makes us ask, I think, a lot of questions like, what is a stronger Christian? What's a weaker Christian? And I think traditionally, when I, when I think of like a stronger Christian, I, w- I would think, well, that's somebody who follows the rules, right? That's somebody who knows the book and does exactly what God wants them to all the time. That's, and they, they just follow the rule book, and that's a strong Christian. And then we tend to think a weaker Christian is somebody who needs some more rules, right? Somebody who like, ah, man, they're a weaker Christian. They don't know what God desires from their life. But it's actually flip-flopped in this text, where the stronger Christian is somebody who's like, hey, I'm no longer just pursuing the rules for the rules. I'm pursuing Christ. And I'm pursuing love for God and love for people. That's what Jesus, he boils the entire law, all the rule book down to simply those two things. Just love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you got to do. So the stronger believer is leaning into those things. And then in this text, the weaker brother or sister is the one who follows the rules. They're the one who's like, hey, time out, uh, page whatever says this, this is the rule. And, and, and they, they live according to the rules, but they've actually got some convictions that come behind that. They're living according to the rules. The weaker brothers living according to these rules because they feel security in them. They feel safety in them. And even beyond that, in this context, that weaker brother or sister feels easily tempted to fall into their old way of life. And so they're, they're actually kind of leaning into these rules to protect them. Some of you are here that way, where you're like, hey, I don't do this because I don't want to fall into that old lifestyle. 
I, I know who I'm going to become if I get around those people, so I'm just going to like avoid those type of people. Or I, I know who I'm going to become if I, if I have that kind of behavior in my life, so I'm going to avoid that kind of behavior. And that's really what's going on is these, these, these Christians are part of the church. They've come from maybe some pagan backgrounds. And so they see this meat, and they're like, no, 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 not going to eat it because I know what that's about. That's about food that's been sacrificed to idols. I want no part to play. While their Christian brother or sister over here is like, this is some good barbecue. Like, ah, man, have you guys had this? It's delicious, right? And so, again, they both have a right to their convictions, but there's tension that is created. Now, I want to draw another distinction just to kind of muddy the waters a little bit more. I think in this weaker brother category are two more categories, and they're this, the weak theology and weak conscience. So, so the question is, like, which one is which? Weak theology, there are a lot of people who have weak theology, both today and, 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 and in the church in Corinth, and there are people who have a strong theology. And theology is just their, a true understanding of God. That's what theology is. And there are people who have a strong conscience, and there are people who have a weak conscience. So weak theology is, is kind of like, here, here's an example um, it would be people who would say, they, they would come to church, and they'd say, you can only do church on Sunday morning. And every time we try to do church on a different night, we get a few emails from people who are like, do you know that this is not okay? The church, God hears from the church on Sunday morning between 9 and 11 o'clock. That's just how it works. And there's always a little tension there, and, and we try to understand, like, be understanding, but for some people, just so you know, the Bible does not say that, okay? God hears our prayers all week long, amen? Like, and we can worship all week long, and we can be at the church all week long, and he doesn't, you know, restrict this to Sunday morning. But there are people, because of their backgrounds, that believe that there are certain things that are right, certain things that are wrong. And, and, and this is so easy to do that we allow our religious traditions to become biblical mandates. And boy, you've got to be careful about that. You've got to be careful about allowing your, 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 your traditions, things that you're like, I'm just not used to that. They didn't do that way that, you know, when I was growing up. That's not what we did. Or my pastor didn't do things like that when I was growing up, you know. Well, I'm not your old pastor, right? So it's like things are going to happen a little different. And, and you always have to be asking, is this a biblical mandate or is this a religious tradition? Because what we tend to do is we allow our traditions and our opinions and our desires to influence us. And what, we, what we'd want to do is we want to find scripture verse to, to kind of back up our traditions and desires when it's really not there. It's not a theolo- theological issue. This is a weak theology, right? And, and you could say, like, oftentimes people with weak theology, I think, end up getting offended pretty easily. Because, again, we're trying to kind of bolster our opinions with the Word of God, and it's just not there. And so people end up very offended by these things. And it just goes wrong. Matthew fifteen ten, Jesus is confronting the uh, religious leaders in his day about uh, ceremonial hand washing. Again, this is a tradition of theirs. And Jesus, in verse 10, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Here it is again about, you know, food that you're eating and, and washings and things washing before you eat. And Jesus is like, what goes into your mouth doesn't make you sick. It's what comes out of your mouth. And, and again, he's not just talking about the words from your mouth. He's talking about the, the fruit of your life. It's not so much about the words that, and the th- or the things that come into your life, but it's the things that go out of your life. And that's how you start to look at, like, should I let this into my life? Is it producing a good fruit in my life? 
He's saying it's not, the, it's not the food, it's not the cleanliness of the hands that actually makes you clean or unclean. Verse 12, it says, Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Uh-oh. He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So, so they're offended. The disciples are like, oh, Jesus, do you know you offended the religious people? Which again, like you have to look at the life of Christ. And I tend to think if I'm, you know, loved by the sinful and offending the religious, I'm looking a lot like Jesus, right? If I'm loved by the religious and hated by the sinful in our community, maybe I don't look like Jesus, right? And so you got to kind of look at your life and see who loves you and who affirms you. For Jesus, he was constantly offending the religious leaders of his day. And I think you could act... You can actually ask this question of the things that offend you and go, like, is God as offended as I am about this, right? Like, like can I really believe that God is just as offended as I am? So that's, that's a weak theology, just an example of that. Another is the weak conscience. And this is specifically what Paul's talking about. Not just weak theology, but a weak conscience. So a weak conscience is not someone who lacks conviction. A weak conscience is somebody who's convicted by almost anything. And everything. And so I want to stop and say this is so important. Our consciences are a very good thing, right? Like you parents in the room, you want your kids to have a conscience. You married people in the room want your spouse to have a conscience, right? You want your pastors to have a conscience. Consciences are good. They're like a steering wheel on a car. You want that, right? Right? You never want the steering wheel to keep you between the ditches. That's what a conscience does for you. It's a really, really good thing. But for them, the people with a weak conscience are people who are, they kind of feel like things that are not always wrong are wrong for them because of their own temptations and proclivities. Does that make sense? So like things that are, they're not always wrong. They're not biblically wrong. They're wrong for them because they know that they'll be tempted to wander into certain behaviors and lifestyles that are not good for them. Now, some of you might go, okay, well, if that's my neighbor's issue, then why is that my problem? Right? Like, I am free, and I have my rights as a Christian, and I'm free to live my free life as a believer, and so I shouldn't be affected by their weak conscience. Well, here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul says there are situations where my freedom can lead someone else into their own form of slavery. And he says, if my freedom is going to lead you into your own form of slavery, I I will abstain from living out that freedom. I will abstain from, from, from wandering into that behavior. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to act in any way specifically. I just, I want to love you and I want to serve you. Remember, freedom must be balanced with love. Now, some of you might be kind of judging the Corinthians and going, well, meat, no meat, that's kind of dumb. Like, seriously, you're convicted about meat. But I'll tell you, we all have our things that we think make us more acceptable to God or don't make us acceptable to God. We have our things. Like some of you are here on Sunday morning because you're like, this is my routine. And if I don't go to church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is, then I feel like God doesn't accept me. Some of you have your daily Bible reading, which is a good thing. But you fall into this camp where you're doing it because you're like, I think God loves me a little bit more than somebody who doesn't do this. 
And there's this point that you come, normally through a lot of failure, where you realize that, man, I'm just never going to live up to the standard. Like, I'm just never going to do it. And if I could, then there would be no need for Jesus, right? Like, Jesus came because you can't live up to the standard. And your only means to holiness and perfection before God is the blood of Christ. And once you accept that, you can start pursuing the good things of God out of love for him, not as a way of earning his affection for you. So I'm just thinking about examples. Like, what are things that kind of people disagree about in the church and have different convictions on? And kind of the classic example is alcohol, right? Alcohol is one of the, definitely one of those examples of, like, is it something we should, we should participate in and, and receive or, or, or not? Like, what do we do with that? And, and I'll tell you, my, my background is uh, my grandfather was an alcoholic. And so something that then, when, with my parents, like, he, my dad never had alcohol in the house. Uh, he was in the military for 30 years, and he would always go to these military uh, events, and, and he'd always have a Pepsi in his hand. Just never had alcohol. And so it was just one of those things that they avoided. And so maybe for your background, I don't know where you're coming from. Maybe in your uh, home growing up, it was, a, it was maybe a more uh, religious home, and you just never had alcohol. Others of you are like, when does my family not drink, right? Like, like th- there's water? Because, like, we don't drink water. We are always drinking alcohol, right? So, so, and it's different. Like, what does the Bible say? Psalm 104 says that wine gladdens the heart of man. Some of y'all this week were gladdened out on the beach fishing, right? Like, Wine gladdens the heart of man. Paul tells his apprentice Timothy, drink a little wine and it's going to settle your stomach, right? We know Jesus, his first miracle was he turned water into wine, right? And not just any wine, like high alcohol content, like quality wine, right? And again, so we see this that like you can't, you can try, but you can't make a biblical argument that it's, that, that, that wine or alcohol is wrong in and of itself. And we can argue about that later. I'd be glad to, but I'll tell you, like, for me, the day I turned 21, I had had one beer, confessing my sins, and I had, like, one beer in high school, and I hated it, and so when I turned 21, I went out and bought, like, a six-pack of Sam Adams, because I'm 21, right? And I brought it home and cracked it open, and it tasted as bad as it did, you know, three years prior to that. It was just, like, terrible. I'm like, who wants to drink this skunk water anyway? Like, I hated it. It was just bad, right? But, you know, like things change, and, and, and throughout your life, like, you're going to maybe want to enjoy a, you know, a glass of wine with your, with your spouse, or whatever it may be. Like, how do we determine what to do with this? The thing is, alcohol, it's a point of conscience. It's back to being a point of conscience, right? Well, now, I'll be honest, like, and, and clear with you, you got to be 21, right? Teenagers, none of y'all, it's not a point of conscience for you. Follow the laws of the land. The parents are nodding their heads, yes. Like, follow the laws of the land. But in the end, if it's legal... And you have to go like, is this something that I should participate in? So I think we have to ask some questions. We have to figure out like, what do we do with this? And, and the first question we should ask is this, is it unbiblical? Whatever it is. Is the thing I'm trying to figure out what to do with, is it unbiblical? Does the Bible clearly say that this isn't okay? Right? Can I murder my friend? No. Unbiblical. Wrong. Right? It's not okay. There are things that are just clearly unbiblical that you know, can I lie to my boss to get a raise? No, you can't. It's unbiblical. Like, there are things that are clearly unbiblical, and it's kind of the end of the conversation. You don't have to ask more questions. You, you don't do it. But then the next question, if it's not unbiblical, you should ask is, is it unwise? <laughs> Sometimes it's not unbiblical. It's just stupid. Don't do it, right? Like, and you can just try to always live your life by, is there chapter and verse? But you're not going to find chapter and verse for every single thing. You can find buckets of things and go like, well, does it fit into here? But in the end, you have to go like, is it unbiblical? Well, it's not clear. 
then is it just stupid, right? Is it unbiblical for me to go jump off a cliff into a lake that I've not tested the depth of, of the water? No, but it's dumb. Like, it's really dumb. Don't do that, right? And so some things we should avoid because they're unwise. And then the third question, really the question that we're talking about today is this. Is it unloving? Is it unbiblical? Is it unwise? And is it unloving, right? Because this is, a, this is the point Paul's trying to make is like, are you really loving each other? Are you really caring for one another? Because maybe you can't find chapter and verse, and maybe it's not a dumb thing to do, but maybe it's hurting your friend, and if it is, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, it's not worth it. Paul's like, if it's going to cause my brother or sister to struggle in their faith, I have no desire to participate in whatever that is, and so they're going to they're gonna walk away from it. So what do we do with these things? I just, I think of so many, there's so many different things that I'm like, do I, do I bring this into my life? Do I not? Here's an example from my life. I can't watch gory movies. I can't do it. Some of you guys can watch some gory movies. And it's like you can flip your brain into a mode where you watch it, and then, then you never think about it again. I think about it all the time. Like, I have images in my mind from when I was like 13 years ago, years old, and, and they, they always come to my mind when I'm alone in the woods hunting. That's when they come to my mind. <laughs> like, sitting on a rock, it's getting dark, and I'm like, I got to get back to camp. I'm freaking out here. Like, it's something about gory. There, we were watching The Walking Dead back in the day when that was really popular, and there was a point where I was just like, nope, no more. Can't, can't, ah, can't do it. You know, like, it's just too much, too much for me. I don't know. Some of you can do that. I can't do it. But you have to kind of look at these things. Is it, is it wise for me to do something that's affecting my life outside of watching this stupid movie? No, that's just dumb. Why would I let that affect my life? So I'm going I'm to resist that. Well, another part of this whole dynamic, this conversation we're having about these things and these convictions that we have is we need to know the difference between offenses and temptations. This is important to know because Jesus offended a lot of people, Right? And, and we have to know that. Like, if you're going to walk in freedom, you will offend some people. And so is that our goal, is to avoid all offense? Well, it doesn't seem like it was Jesus' goal. Now, we don't necessarily try to offend people, although if you watch the life of Christ, there are moments where you can see that Jesus was legitimately trying to offend. Like, he chooses with his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath. They're working on the holy day when they were supposed to not be doing anything, especially picking grain. And they could have picked grain the next day, but Jesus is like, we're picking grain on the Sabbath. They could have gone without food, but they chose to do it to, to kind of be an offense to the weak theology of the religious leaders of the day. That's what he tried to do. I mean, think about it. Jesus was, he was publicly washing the feet of a prostitute. He chose to do that. In a public setting, people watched him do that. And they were deeply offended by him. Jesus was always offending people. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So that's a temptation. So there's offenses where you offend my weak theology. I don't like it. It's not a biblical issue. I just don't like that you do that. And that's just going to happen in the church, and we have to have grace with one another. But then there are temptations. Where, where if there are people who are part of the church who come from a certain background, where there is a behavior that leads them back into that background, we should gladly abstain, whatever that may be, in that moment. Paul says we don't want to exercise our rights in a way that causes a stumbling block. Now, when you hear the word stumbling block, uh, if you're new to the church, Christians use that term a lot. 
And it can kind of be a junk drawer term to actually judge other people's behavior. You're being a stumbling block, you know? You have to be careful with that term. But when I hear stumbling block, there's a hyperlink in my mind that I go back to 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul says this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Okay, so we have two sides of this, that like, we don't want to be a stumbling block, and then we just read that Christ was a stumbling block. What's he saying? Here's the deal. Jesus was a stumbling block to the poor understanding that the Jews had at that point of what the Messiah would look like. He was a stumbling block to the Jews because they had this image of this this, this warrior Messiah that would show up and take over the Roman Empire, and Jesus shows up as a suffering servant. And it's like they were kind of stumbling over their weak theology. That's what was going on. So Jesus is a stumbling block in that way. Like, I'll tell you, I, I really hope that every single week that you come to ACF, when you leave this place, you're kind of stumbling a little bit over part of your theology. That there's something you're like, man, I thought God was this way. I thought he was a monster, but he actually loves me. That you're stumbling all over your poor theology. Like, there's part of your theology which we're all trying to figure out a theology at all times. That every week you're like, oh man, I thought God saw me like this. I thought he just... I thought he was just constantly disappointed with me, but I, he actually loves me. So you're, stumbling, so, so you're stumbling over your weak theology. That's what Jesus causes them to do. But listen to this. Jesus caused people to stumble over their false theology, but never caused them to stumble over their sin. Do you know the, the difference? He causes them to stumble. In other words, like, I want to reframe your false theology of who God is and how God relates to humanity. I do not want you to stumble over your sin. I do not want to lead you into temptation. That's the opposite of what he wanted to do and the opposite of what we want to do. Now, living this life of freedom can be perilous in the church, and I know that. Um, Really, because freedom can lead to judgment as much as conviction and having conscience can lead to judgment. And freedom is sort of a spectrum in the church. Like, again, over on one side is the, you know, no rated R movies, uh, only Christian music, only hang out with friends from church, right? I mean, all of that stuff. And on the other side is like, uh, I host a homebrew small group at my house or something, right? Which uh, you can ask me about that later. But I mean, it's like Christian freedom is like a spectrum on, on both sides of this. And what we tend to do is be most judgmental of those farthest from us on the spectrum, Right? Like, we on one side can say, well, I'm so free, why don't you come over and be like me? And on the other side, we can say, well, I follow the rules. Why don't you come over here and be like me? And so we end up judging one another. I want to ask you, have you ever been offended by someone else's freedom? Been like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, God is not pleased with that. Or have you ever been offended by someone else's conviction? When they're like, no, I can't participate and I can't in good conscience do that. What you need to understand is that we have to respect both. And we have to seek to love one another. And, and what, what you need to know is that like, if you've got a conviction in an area where maybe it's not an unbiblical thing, and, but for you it's unwise, man, we've got to respect I respect that. I may not have the same conviction, but we have to respect that in other people's lives. Romans 14, 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables, right? Again, this is not ragging on the vegans. It's okay. If you like to, be, like to eat only vegetables, that's fine. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. There it is. So we don't judge on either side. 
right? We don't try to recruit God onto our side. No, like God is on my side, only Christian music all the time, right? Like, again, we don't do that. We try to love those on the other side. What we tend to do, the, the temptation is just to call names, right? Like if you're on, on one side where you feel like, you know, you're, you've got a lot of freedom, you would call the other people legalists, right? Like you're just a legalist. But maybe they've just got a strong conscience and maybe there's a conviction in them because of what their background is. And maybe you should love them instead of calling them a legalist. And then if you're on that side, you might look over here and call these people the liberals, right? Are just being liberal with the word of God? And maybe not. Maybe they're living in freedom. Maybe they don't have the same temptations that you have, and so they're walking in that freedom. But Paul says you have one job when it comes to your brother and your sister, and it's love. You have one job. It's to love them. You have to figure out what that looks like in every single setting. So then, I mean, okay, that's fine, Brian. Love them. But how do we know what is okay if it's not in the Bible? Like, how do we end up really getting in to the meat of this, knowing like what actually, it's pun not intended, the meat of this, knowing like what actually is okay. And I, I've got this matrix that I run everything through. And I, I feel like these are, these are kind of like a way to look at everything that you have in your life and go, should I, should I participate this in, or not? And the first one is, do I reject it? Do I reject it? There are things in our society that should be all out rejected. Can we agree that there are things that, like, we, we just go, that is evil or that is wrong? And that's absolutely okay. We shouldn't be afraid of that. That's not judgmental to say, hey, it's evil to abuse your spouse, right? This is wrong to participate in this behavior. Like, like we will never have a ministry in ACF called Strippers for Jesus, right? Because... Now, Jesus is for strippers, right? He, would, he loves everyone, but we're not going to have strippers for Jesus because we're not going to promote that behavior because we're like, no, that's just not good for you or for anybody else. Like, it's not, it's not a good thing. We're not going to have, like, meth addicts for Jesus, you know, ministry. We're like, hey, do some meth, yay, and read your Bible at the same time. I don't know, like, but we're not going to do that because we're like, no, that's hurtful to you. It's hurtful to other people. We don't want you participating in that at all. We're not going to have abusive spouses for Jesus, Right? Because, again, we're not promoting these behaviors. We're saying we reject these behaviors. We say they're not good for you. They're not good for others. Jesus wants to heal us from those things. He wants to rescue us out of those things. He loves us through those things, but we reject those things. The next option is this. Do we receive it? Some things should be all out rejected. Some things can be simply received. Do you know that God created a lot of beautiful stuff? Even in this messed up, broken world that we live in, like there is beauty and truth everywhere. How good is God? That even with how sinful my life is, there's still some truth that comes out, right? Even with how, how broken our decisions are, sometimes we do a good thing once in a while, right? Uh, even with how messed up society can be sometimes, there is beauty that comes from the creativity that exists. There's amazing music and art and all kinds of things that have been created. And, and what can tend to happen in the church is if we don't label it Christian, people think we need to reject it, right? Only Christian music, only Christian art. Only, but, but what you need to know is that God created a lot of good things. And that God is the author of every good thing in the world. First Timothy 4 says, For everything created by God is good. 
And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So some of you stopped reading at Thanksgiving. You're like, all I got to do is thank God for it and I can do it? You know, like, like Jesus, I thank you for my 12th beer today. Like, just thank, thank Jesus. No, no, no. It's made holy by the word of God in prayer. In other words, if you're not prayerful in submitting to the word of God, then don't do it. Don't do it. You understand what he's saying? He's, he's saying God created good things that you can receive and give him glory for. So here's a good test. If you can't worship God while you do it, don't do it. If you can't be like, man, God is, I, I hope he's watching right now. If you're not saying, I hope God is, is literally watching really close to me right now, you probably shouldn't do it. Probably should be rejected. But if you can do that, then, then you probably have some freedom in that part of your life. But once again, you have to run it through the matrix. Is it unbiblical? Is it unwise? Right? The last one is this. Should we redeem it? Do we reject it? Do we receive it? Or do we redeem it? You know, I think there's a lot of things in our society that can be redeemed. I think there's a lot of things in our relationships, in our friendships. There's a lot of behaviors that can be redeemed that we don't need to completely reject. And some things you reject for a time, then you redeem them. Some of you have seen that where you're like, hey, I, I can't be around these people for a season because I know who I become around them. But then as God strengthens you and grows you, you lean back in and you, you, you develop new relationships with those people. And now instead of uh, them rubbing off on you, you're rubbing off on them, right? Like instead of being changed by the world, you're changing the world. And so you're redeeming that situation. And, and now what comes up when we talk about this is always the slippery slope argument in the church. Well, Brian, that's a slippery slope. Man, Jesus was always on a slippery slope. I think washing the prostitute's feet was a slippery slope. But Jesus also knew that he could get some traction by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So there are things that you're like, you got to know. You got to just be smart and wise and have good counsel in your life to go like, is this too slippery of a slope for me? If you're an alcoholic, you're not doing bar ministry downtown in Anchorage, right? You don't do that. That's that's too slippery of a slope for you. There's things that you just don't do because you know it's not healthy for you. But saying it's a slippery slope would cause you to avoid absolutely everything in this world. And what Jesus is so clear is he's like, hey, church family, I have not called you out of this world. I've called you to love, love God in this world. I've called you to be a different type of people, a new humanity, a new people group within the world. Not to live as the world does, but to love the world where they are. We need to redeem things. We try to redeem things all the time as a church. We do outreaches to our community to redeem holidays, right? Like, I remember the first year, I'm just thinking back to my journey with ACF Church. The first year we did a trunk or treat. It was the first trunk or treat in Eagle River. Now they're on every street corner, but it was the very first one. There was no more, no trunk or treats. And we did it that first, first uh, year, and I remember the phone started lighting up. We get emails from other Christians in other churches going like, what are you doing? Halloween is the devil's holiday. It's the devil's birthday, you know? And so why should you do it? Because we were redeeming it. We're like, to redeem Halloween was to give away lots of free candy to lots of children in our community and get people on this church property that have maybe never been to church before and just love in the name of Jesus, expecting nothing, nothing in return. We're redeeming the holiday, right? We redeem Christmas as a church. Some of you are like, what? Jesus' birthday? No, I, I, I could, you could argue, honestly, that there's more, more uh, religious roots in Halloween than Christmas. 
Uh, Christmas was a pagan holiday originally, and I mean, if you were to really get down to it, I could probably argue that Christmas leads to more idolatry than Halloween ever will, right? And materialism and family drama and all the, all the things. So like we go, hey, we're going to do Christmas. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to get people in this building, share the gospel. We redeem it, right? So sometimes the roots of something don't necessarily de- determine what you do with something, okay? So we can go, ah, man, it's got bad roots, but man, we can turn it into good roots. Because all things that God created that are good are created by God. We redeem sex, right? It's been distorted by our culture, and we just preached about it for three weeks, and you guys came back. Look at you. You're here. Well done. But it was awkward, and it, and it doesn't need to be awkward, but it is because it's been so distorted in our culture. So we're like, let's talk about it, and let's see Jesus redeem it. We want to redeem money, right? Because money's not evil. You say money is the root of all evil? No. What is the root of all evil? The love of money. That's right. The love of money is the root of all evil. So we go, okay, well, what does it look like to talk openly about money and to leverage our finances as a church to, to serve people and love people? And you guys just did that with Peru. Did you guys hear about that? You guys raised $95,000 to care for kids in Peru, which is crazy. Yeah. So good. Man, that just blew my mind. So these children have the vitamins they need to fight anemia. I mean, it's just crazy. But this is redeeming something that can be distorted because we all know that there's been a relationship that's lost over money. Or we found ourselves being greedy and, and it just has caused us to just lose gratitude in our lives. Money can be so unhealthy. We want to redeem those things. So I think Paul wants us to ask two important questions. The first is this. How can I be less offendable? I mean... Again, like the, the, the goal isn't just to not offend people. The goal is to love people. And when you're loving people and living in your freedom, you will offend people. So in that journey, as we live life together, how can I be less offendable? How can I know the difference between something that's unbiblical or unwise or unloving? In the end, we want to, to talk about all of those things. And then the second question is this, how can I serve others better? With anything we do, with everything in our life, how can I serve others better? I was really thinking that a lot of times the way we live our life is we ask this question, um, is this my right? And if it's my right, then I should be able to do it. I have a right to this spot on the beach to fish, right? I have a right to say my, to speak my mind, right? I have a right to crush the competition, right? Because it's just business. We say, we use, people use that term all, it's just business, What if more people, instead of asking, is it my right, asked, is it right? What if you stopped asking, is it my right, and just said, is it right? Is it right for me to do this? Is it loving for me to do this? Because Paul's saying that is the question, not is it your right? Because all things can be your right, but not all things are right. So what does that apply in your life? Where have you chosen to exercise your rights in a way that is not loving to your brother or your sister? Is there a part of your life where you're like, man, I just need to, I need to restrict my rights for the sake of love? Because can I tell you, church, that that is the definition of love, is that you would restrict your rights for the sake of another. And the reason I know that's the definition of love is because that's what God did for us. The Bible says that when we are all caught up in our sin, when we are lost in our transgressions, when we had no hope at all, God sent his son 
who gave up his right to heaven to become a frail human being, to die on a cross, to shed his blood, to lead to our redemption. Jesus gave up his rights because it was right. He wasn't so focused on, is it my right? And so are there ways that we can do that for our community? Are there ways that you can do that for your friends, for your family, for your coworkers? Because that's how you know you've begun to love them. Would you grab your action card? It might be on your seat somewhere. I want to take some next steps together as a church family. And we have a few ways that we can move forward together today. Just encourage everybody in the room to fill this out and drop this in the basket on the way out so we can be praying for you specifically. But maybe today you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I I just want you to know it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the best decision you'll ever make is just to start a relationship. Say, okay, Jesus, I am done trying to follow the rules in order to get you to love me. I'm ready just to receive your love as a free gift. If that's you today, I want to invite you in to receive that, just to pray with me here in a moment. Maybe today you just need to say, I'm repenting for judging the convictions of others. Maybe you just shout your freedom to the mountaintops, but you have not loved people well, and you have judged people for having deep convictions and called them legalists, when really maybe they just need you to love them. Maybe you today just need to run your decisions through that freedom matrix. Do I receive it? Do I reject it? Or do I redeem it? And maybe that's a brand new thought today is that you tend to just kind of receive anything that comes into your life. And, and maybe it's time that you become a bit of a gatekeeper for those things. And you use this simple tool to go like, should we receive, reject, or redeem this movie? Should we re- receive, reject, or redeem this action as a couple? Whatever it is, to receive, reject, redeem. Maybe today you need to sacrifice your freedom to love others. And you know what that thing is today, that you had or have the freedom to do something, and you know it's not right. You know you had the right, but it's not right. It's not loving. So maybe today you just need to repent for that. Maybe you need to apologize to someone. Maybe you need to leave church today and make a phone call and go, hey, uh, I know I had every right to do that, or, you know, I I felt free to do that, but that hurt you, which made it wrong. Because if you continue in this text, what Paul says is that when we sin against our brothers— We don't just sin against them, we sin against God himself. So it's not just between us and them, it's against God when we lead them into that place. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us and we'll close in worship here today. Father, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. And God, thank you for loving us on the journey that we're on. God, we all have weaknesses in our conscience. God, there are things that I can't do that others can and things that I can do that others cannot. God, I pray we'd be aware of those things and that we'd honor those convictions that you placed on our hearts. Father, forgive us for judging those who are on the other side of that freedom spectrum from us. And God, I pray we'd seek to love one another. And God, in the end, I pray you'd show us what it looks like this week to lay down our rights for our brothers and our sisters. God, I pray you'd give us one very clear way that we could give up something that we have everything, every right to do so that we could choose what's right. God, would you convict us where we need conviction? God, where we have hardened your hearts, would you, our hearts, would you soften our hearts? And God, would you unify us as a community on mission for the sake of sharing the gospel with our city? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.
Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.